Hello friends, welcome to the Hillside Church podcast. My name is Brad and I serve Hillside Church as the lead pastor. We're so glad to be able to share God's word with you in this way. God has so much in store for you and for your life. And one of the ways God works in our lives is through the study of his word, like the message you're about to hear. Our prayer for you is that as you share in this message, if it's me preaching or if it's someone else, is that God's word would minister to your heart and life in a most powerful way. Thanks again for being part of our church family. God bless you. Well, this morning we're starting a new sermon series. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to follow along, you can turn to Genesis chapter 6. Uh, if you don't know your Bible very well, Genesis is the first book of the Bible, so right at the very, very beginning. And, and so you can find the, the Genesis contains the story of, of the beginning of people, the beginning of us and the beginning of the, the universe and as God speaks things into creation and then creates mankind. And we discover God's connection to mankind and mankind's response to God. And we're going to be looking at the, uh, the life of Noah. Um, and this series is going to take us through all the way till, till we begin our Christmas series. And that sounds really weird to say, although now it feels like Christmas is a whole lot closer um, when we've got snow on the ground. It was weird to write this because when I was writing this, it was 25 degrees out or whatever it was earlier in the week. And so writing, oh, this is going to take us through till Christmas felt really weird. Now it doesn't feel quite so weird because there's snow on the ground. But the story of Noah is a pretty, pretty famous story. It's, it's a story that if you go to church, you hear about, especially if you're a child. It's the kind of story we love to share with kids. You know, the Lord told Noah there's going to be a floody, floody. The Lord, you know, the, the old songs that kids have sang for years and years. But we know the story. Uh, God calls Noah, tells him to build a boat. He brings the animals two by two. It rains and there's a flood and God saves Noah and his family. And, and for many of us, you know, that, that's the story of Noah that we know. It, it's the story that, that we're familiar with. The story of Noah's Ark. It, it's like Jonah and the whale. <clears throat> it's like other stories from scripture where it's just, we, we know the story. We're familiar with the content. But the story of Noah is more than just the story of a guy in a boat. It's more than just this, the, the simple children's story that, that, we, that we will tell each other, the, the, the story of, that, that we will have in, in, in Sunday school and, and all of these things. And uh, what we're going to discover over the next couple of weeks as we journey through this story, as we really take some time to unpack the story of Noah, is that it's a complex story. It's a story more than just of a man and a boat it's a story of a man on a, on a faith journey with God. That as he's called and, and set to do this purpose, it, it, when we tell the story quickly, it doesn't necessarily do the story justice. And so as we unpack the life of this man and the journey that he goes on as God has called him to do this thing that seems outrageous, it seems crazy, and, and he goes through a whole bunch of of stages of this journey. We're going we're gonna to discover the story that, that exists behind the story a little bit. We're going we're gonna to find something for your life, something that, that, some things that maybe get overlooked, <clears throat> than just when we tell the story of the guy and the boat. And so to dive into the story of Noah, we need to understand the context of the world that brings the story of Noah. Now, if you are familiar with Genesis chapter 6... Genesis chapter 6 doesn't begin with the story of Noah. 
um, it sets some context for the story of Noah. And actually the first couple of verses of Genesis chapter 6 are one of the greatest mysteries in all of the Bible. Um, There's a couple of verses that we read through there that we don't really know what they mean. We can read the words, but, but they're very confusing. And, and it's one of actually the most controversial and, and de- hotly debated parts of Scripture because there's a couple things in there that, that don't get much explanation, but maybe really could have used a whole bunch of explanation, at least for us nowadays. We're, we're told in these verses that, that in these days, the, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. What's, what makes this really confusing is, is the term sons of God is the same Hebrew term that's used in other places to describe angelic beings. To, to describe angels. It's the same word that's used in Job 1.6 and in other places. And if that interpretation were to hold true, if we were to understand that, then it would appear in the Bible that's describing some union between mortal men and and fallen angels of some sort. We, We don't really know what this is talking about. And then the next verse or next verses continue to elaborate kind of on this thing. And it will speak of, of something called the Nephilim that were around and that seemed to maybe be the offspring of some of these relationships. And for us, what makes this really difficult to understand, what makes this part of scripture just sort of, huh? And then we move on, is that we're, we're left with a bunch of questions the Bible doesn't really elaborate on. It doesn't go into, and so this is what this meant. As, as we read through the book of Genesis, we're just told this, and then we move into the story of Noah. There are some places that can give us some more information, but, but not enough to be able to answer <coughs> Excuse me. some of these questions posed here. There are lots of theories surrounding on who these people were, and we're not going to get sidetracked into all of that right now, because that's, that's not the point of what, we want, what we're talking about this morning. But I wanted to make sure to, to, to address that, or at least highlight it, so that if you're reading through your Bible and you're like, oh, let's go back and reread what Brad talked about this morning, or, or whatever, and, and you start reading in Genesis 6 verse 1, and you're like, wait, he didn't talk about any of this. What, 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 what is this about? If you would like some more info on this, if, if this has piqued your interest or piqued your curiosity, um, I'd be happy. I have done a little bit, of, little bit of work on unpacking some of this stuff. And so if you'd like some more information, I'd be happy to provide it for you. But I just wanted to highlight for you that if you read through those verses and you go, I don't know what this means, um, you're not the only one. Um, all of us are those who, who don't really know what this means. But the real picture of how things sit, the real context for the story of Noah is found in verse 5. And so we read this in Genesis, 5, or Genesis 6, 5, 6, and 7. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race <coughs> had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil 
all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. With, with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that moved along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. How bad it must have been. That as we read the heart of God towards his creation, how depraved, evil, terrible, and hopeless it must have been that the Bible would record these words from the mouth of God. I regret that I've made them. That's a heavy, heavy place to start. That's, that's a hard, hard place to begin. The word used in Genesis to describe mankind as wicked, it's the Hebrew word raw. And it means evil or morally wrong. So some related words are sinful, immoral, bad, corrupt, villainous, foul, monstrous, horrible, criminal, and lawless. Now, now something interesting to note here. Oh, thank you, Carmen. That's very sweet of you. right here and hope not to kick it over. Um, something interesting to note, as, as this, is, this is how, how we would see the word, or the world, something important, the law hadn't come yet. God's law for mankind didn't exist yet. The Ten Commandments, the book of Leviticus, they were a long, 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 long way. There was not yet Abraham or Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. The last real story that we have in Genesis, the last real account of, of people was Cain and Abel. And then we move into to sort the, the generations of Adam that leads us into, into Moses. But we're not at a place yet where God has really given people commands really about the only command that people had been given up until this point was was don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil way back in with Adam and Eve that that as much as we read about people being wicked um that God hadn't said this is how you should act God hadn't said, this is wicked and this is right. God hadn't said, this is my way for you. So their, their wickedness was not in contrast to what God had commanded them. And so what we're seeing here, and what, what we see here, and what we understand here, is not that somehow we see this picture of, of people falling short of the standard of God, but instead, what we see here is what happens when we as people are left to our own to decide what's good and bad. 
to decide what's right and wrong. This is what happens when, when we are just left to sort of as a, a species, as people, as, as human beings, if we get to collectively decide what's right or wrong without standards of good or bad, everyone can decide for themselves what's right or wrong. People were given the freedom to look for God wherever they could find them and to make of their relationship with, with God whatever they wanted it to be. This is what happens. Now, does that sound familiar to you? This desire for there to be no right or wrong. This understanding that I get to make for me what's right for me, and you get to make for you what's right for you, and there is no standard, there is no anything to tell us who to be and what to be, we get to decide for each other. We, we see in this time, <clears throat> in this, this story, in this moment in human history, so many principles that our postmodern, post-Christian society values and longs for. This desire to have nothing outside of us, but it's up to us. Everyone was, did what they thought was right. Everything was relative. What, what's true for you is true for you. God is whoever you want God to be. God had, had not given people direction. God had not said yet, this is who I am. God had not said, this is what I want from you. He was there if, there were, if they were looking for him. And we're going to see that, that someone actually was. But people were free to make their own future, make their own present. Whatever they wanted to do, they were free to do. No rules, no, no expectations. And when left to our own devices, we bring creation to a place where the Lord looks down from heaven and says, I regret that I've made them. It's not exactly a ringing endorsement of, of our hearts and, and who we are as people. Now, to be clear, we're not given much of an insight into what was going on in the world. Um, what the evil that was happening was there's no list of sins. There's no, this is what I have against you kind of passage. There, there is corruption and violence mentioned a couple times, but there isn't a list of specific sins mentioned. So, so we don't know what's going on, but we see the end result of what happens when people are left to themselves, when, when our humanism, when our best guesses at morality and ethics are left to their own, and we see the world falling into such a state of chaos and wickedness that the Lord looks at his creation, the ones who he had created in his image, and he saw nothing of himself. All he saw was wickedness and a desire to satisfy the sinful nature. And we see that sin is infecting the world so badly that God is going to take some dramatic measures to save it. That this is where the story becomes the famous story because of what God is going to do in order to rectify this situation. <clears throat> Just as a, as a doctor 
would, would amputate a, a limb in order to save a life, God is going to do something to try and reverse course on his creation. And so what, what does he say he's going to do? Well, it says that God decided that he was going to wipe out the human race. That, that he was going to push a great big reset button on everything. He, he was done with the way things were going and he needed to start again. Regardless of what was happening, we know it was bad and we know that God was so grieved by what was happening that he was going to start again. And so God, God sees what's happening and he determines he needs to do something, but, but we see that his judgment doesn't come immediately. That as we move through the story, it's not... And so God sent a flood. But instead, we see that in the next verse, God wasn't completely finished with humanity. Verse 8 will say, But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Before the destruction of the world would come, time would be given to a man named Noah for a special mission to, to save man from the coming destruction. That before God would, would institute what he feels that he has to do, he, he would give an opportunity for people to continue. He would give an opportunity to continue with his creation. So what was so special about Noah? Why did he find favor? Verse, verse 9 goes on to say, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. See, remember, God hadn't hidden himself from people. It wasn't that God had said, you can't find me, that he had pulled himself out. He just left it for people to, to pursue him. And so we discover that there was at least one, there was at least Noah, who when left to their own devices, said, I'm going with God. I, I'm going to follow with him. Noah, we read, was a righteous man in a wicked generation. He was a man of character who lived a blameless, God-honoring life while everyone around him was sinful and lost. To me, we've already come to one of the most amazing parts of this story. If we just stop right there, the fact that Noah was able to do that, to be surrounded by all of the sin, all of the wickedness, everything that was going on in his day, and somehow he was able to not be influenced by it. Somehow he was able to, to stand against the current. Somehow he was able to, to live inside of a wicked gener generation. And he didn't waver. He didn't fall into wickedness. This is, is one of the most difficult things 
to do. It's easy to be dragged down by the world around you. It's easy to be dragged down by culture, by peer pressure, by a need for acceptance and belonging. It's so easy to fall into sin when everyone else is doing it. It's so easy to be pulled down. I need a volunteer. Joe, perfect. I was hoping you'd raise your hand. Come up front here for a second. We're going to illustrate this point for you. I remember this years and years ago as a point. No, forgive you, my son. Um, no. If I'm up, you can turn and face me. Okay, good. If I'm up and I try to pull Joe up, as hard as I pull, I'm not going to get him up here. But for him to pull me down, really... <laughs> Oh, that, that was exactly oh, okay. right. Perfect, thank yeah. you. All right, is that it? That's it. All right. For him to pull me down really wasn't that hard. And it's not because Joe's such a big, burly, strong man that he just, well, I can do It's not that hard. It's hard to pull up. It's easy to pull down. It's hard for Noah to stand up when the world is pulling him down. It's so easy to fall into sin when everyone else is doing it. And it shows how our hearts but, but the, the flip side of this is, is it's not that this situation was hopeless. It's not that somehow there was nothing good because what we can see in the story of Noah is that how our hearts can be drawn to God even in dark and difficult moments in our lives. See, Noah's heart was pulled towards God. So even though everybody else was rejecting God, God was still there for Noah. God was still, he didn't turn his back on Noah and say, ah, you're probably just one of them. Even when there was just one who was faithful, God made himself faithful. And we read the story of, of you know, the, the, the shepherd with the, the one lost sheep and the 99. And, and we see the picture and the beauty in that of, of this idea of, well, he would leave the 99 to go find the one. In the story of Noah, we see God being faithful to mankind for the one. That he's not just saying, you know what, 99% of you are terrible. That's enough, I'm done. But that he says, there's one left, and I'm going to make my heart open to him. I'm going to allow him to find me. I'm going to be there when he seeks me. See, God is always calling us. God is always drawing us. And, and when it seems like everything around us is falling down and falling apart, God is still there. God is still present. And as the world is descending into chaos and wickedness, God was still there for those who were looking for him. See, even in this moment where God decides that it's time to wipe out humanity, 
even in this moment where God decides that it's time to wipe out all of this sin and wickedness. There's a promise for you in that. That there's a promise for your life in that. That that no matter what our world looks like, no no matter what's going on around us, no, no matter the chaos of the world, the wickedness of the world around us, God's heart is always for those who remain faithful to him. Even when there's just one. And that when our hearts are towards him, his heart is towards us. And and no matter how hard it may be to see him in the world around us, that if you lived in Noah's day and you tried to find God in your circumstance, he was not there. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't there. Because he's always there for us. And in the end, God decides that it's time to intervene and to do what he knew to be necessary. See, all of us endure times and seasons in our lives where our lives resemble the days of Noah. Where for us, it seems like everything is chaotic. Everything is out of control. Times, times when we look at our lives and we say, I get what Noah was going through. Things are insane right now. It's chaotic. It's out of control. It's not what it's supposed to be. Maybe it's, you see it show up in your relationships. Maybe it's, it's your relationship with your spouse or maybe it's your relationship with your kids or your relationships with friends or, or the people around you that, that you just look and you go, this is not what this was supposed to be. That This is not how this was supposed to go. Things are falling apart all around me. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's your finances or your work. That This, this is not what this was supposed to be. Maybe it's health concerns, scares or diagnosis where you look and you go, this is not how this was supposed to go. Where is God in all of this? If God is there, how come my life looks like this? Maybe it's a struggle with our identity or how we see ourselves. And I I look at myself in the mirror and I go, I know you say I'm created in the image of God, but I don't find it. I don't see it. It's not here. Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's anxiety and fear. Maybe it's a battle with sin. But when you look at your life and you look at where you find yourself. You look at at what everything looks like and you say, where is God in all of this? Today, I want to maybe change the way we see this moment where God decides to wipe out the evil the chaos and the sin of this world.
So often what, this is a heavy, sad moment. We said that at the beginning. You know, what, what, a, what a, a hard moment to start out with. As we look at what humanity had become and what God decided he needed to do. But instead, I want to turn this into a promise for you and your life today. See, in this moment, when things were at their worst, when humanity had reached its breaking point, God steps in to set things right again, to show his power over sin and that he will defeat the chaos and the evil of this world. Rest assured, just as he did when the world was much worse, God will intervene according to his perfect timing. And he will show himself to be strong against the wickedness of this world. He will show himself to be strong in your life. The only way for the wickedness in the world of Noah's time to be set right was for God to do something that only God can do. And the promise that we have in this passage is that when we need a miracle that only God can do, that we trust in a God who can do what only God can do. That when we need God to do something, when we say, God, I need a miracle, we serve a miracle-working God. That we serve a God that when he looked at the world and said, sin needs to be defeated, he defeated sin. And so as we desperately cry out for divine intervention to, to bring an end to something that seems beyond us, we can rest assured that we serve a God that can do the impossible, that can do something never seen before, a God that can do whatever it takes to overcome the sin and the wickedness that we find in our lives. And so today, if you're looking for God if you want to ask God to intervene in your life in a supernatural way, we're going to take a moment and we're going to, we're going to pray together that, that, you know, not that God would send a flood and wipe people out, but that a God who can do what only God can do would show himself mighty in your life. That, that the flood that destroyed all of the sin and the wickedness and the awfulness in Noah's time would come and destroy the sin and the wickedness and the awfulness in your life. And so what I want to invite you to do is if that's you, I'm going to invite you, I'm going to invite all of us now, if you would, if you would mind, just, just close your eyes and, and bow your head. This is not particularly a solemn thing. It's mostly just a privacy thing, and it can be hard for people to admit when they need help. And so sometimes it's helpful to be able to take a step, even without having to have everyone turn and look and go, oh, she raised her hand. Um, but I'm going to invite you, if, if that's you, to, 
to just either, either raise your hand where you're at or if that's a lot for you, to just kind of open your eyes and look up and make eye contact with me and I'll make eye contact with you. Not so that I know, but so that you know that I'm praying for you. That when we pray, that, that I've seen you and when I pray, I will be praying for you. And once you've put, put your hand up or once we've made eye contact, you can put your, your hand back down. You can, can lower your eyes again. And, and we're going to just give a couple more moments that if, you, if this is you and you would say, I need God to do something in my life. I, I want to have an opportunity to respond. And so again, if you've, if you've lifted your hand up, you can, can put it back down. If you've wanted to make eye contact, you can, you can do it that way. But we're going to invite, and I, I see your hands, we're going to invite God to come and do the miraculous in our lives today. Just a couple more moments if, if that's you. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. If, if you raised your hand or if you, you lifted your eyes, you don't need to do this loud, but I want to invite you just to, to verbalize somehow what it is that you're looking for prayer for. You don't need to say it loud so that everybody can hear you. You don't even need to say it loud enough so the person next to you can hear it. But just acknowledge before God this morning, this is, is what I'm looking for in my life. God, this, this is the place I need you to come and touch. And then just before we pray, I want to read a couple of verses that will serve as a promise as we pray together right now. Matthew chapter 15, verses 30 through 31. It says this, a vast crowd, I don't know how vast we are, but we, we are a crowd of individuals, brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. People came before God with all kinds of things. They came to Jesus with all kinds of things, looking for Jesus to do all kinds of things in their lives. And they laid them before Jesus. And he healed them all. And this is the God we're going to come to. That my belief is that God can heal you today. God can heal your life today. God can touch your life today. And verse 31 will say, the crowd was amazed. My prayer for us today is that we will leave amazed at what the Lord has done. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well, the lame were walking, and the blind could see again that those who needed a touch from the Lord received a touch from the Lord. And this morning, I believe that for you. And they praised the God of Israel. As we go from this place and we've seen the Lord work mightily, together we're going to praise, praise the Lord. So let's Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come together just like these people in, in Matthew chapter 15. 
with all kinds of things going on in our lives. No, no two the same, but no two less needing of you. And God, as we come to you today with, with all of the acknowledged areas in our lives where we need to see the hand of the Lord at work, God, we come to you right now, not just hoping that maybe you might do something, but with a belief that we serve a God who can do the impossible. That we serve a God who can do bigger than we can ask or imagine. Just as Pastor Matt said, God, may our requests that are too small for everything you can do be filled up by the power of God this morning. And God, I pray that as we've come to you in this moment of need where we need you to do something that only you can do. God, my prayer for each one who raised their hand, for each one who looked up, for each one now who wishes they had raised their hand or wishes they had looked up, but they were too worried about what someone might think or whatever. God, in the name of Jesus Christ, God, we pray for miracles. We pray the hand of the Lord would people's lives today, that those who came in wishing this was different, wishing this was way, wishing there was something else that could be happening in their relationship, happening in their lives, happening in their addictions, in any place in their life with their depression, with how they see themselves, God, with health concerns, God, for those who wish there was something that could be different, in the name of Jesus, we pray for healing. We pray for the hand of the Lord to touch their lives. God, for those marriages that are here that are just hanging on by a thread, God, would you heal those relationships? God, for those who, whose, whose work and financial situation is not what they want it to be, God, would you give them wisdom? God, for those with, with health concerns, with, with diagnosis, with health scares, God, in the name of Jesus, heal them. God, for those who struggle with their identity, how they see themselves, who they are in your eyes, that they've gone too far, they've done too much. God, in the name of Jesus, show them. Jesus, for those struggling with addiction, depression, or fear, or anxiety, God, in the name of Jesus, set them free. Jesus, set us free that we'd be able to walk with you. God, for those in battle with sin, God, we thank you that your word will tell us that we are more than conquerors, that we are victorious through you. And God, I pray for victory in our lives today. Victory in all of our lives today. God, may the things that we came to church with that would weigh us down, that would hurt, that, that would break our heart, God, in the name of Jesus, as we leave today, would there be difference? And God, I pray, just as we read in Matthew, 30, or Matthew 15, those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well, the lame were walking, the blind could see again. In the name of Jesus, may things be different today. And then we read, they praised the God of Israel. And so God, as we step out in faith, in believing that you are going to make us new today. God, may we praise you from the 
depths of our inmost being. May we praise you. In your name, Jesus, we Amen. Rain, rain on my face. Thanks again for being a part of this message from Hillside Church. We pray that God was able to speak to you through what was shared. We're so grateful to be able to share God's word with our church community and family, and that includes you. And we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Hillside Airdrie. You can contact us through email at info at hillsideairdrie.ca. Or you can go to hillsideairdrie.ca and click on Contact Us from the main menu. Or you can find our pastoral team contact by clicking on Our Pastors from the Our Church drop-down menu. Our vision for everyone that shares in Hillside Church is that they would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power in their lives. And we pray this message ministered to you. At Hillside Church, we're a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. As family we go. Casting down all ways and sin and guilt that over.